Good morning and happy Easter. Our first scripture reading is from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. It's found on page 1710 in your pew Bibles. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Our second scripture reading is from John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. It is found on page 1,685 in your pew Bibles. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. 
pray with me. Come Holy Spirit, kindle the hearts of your faithful ones. Fill us with the fire of your love. May our words and our hearts together glorify you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite Easter's was when I was in college and I had joined this little Methodist church along the coast of Maine where I grew up. And it was Easter, so the little church of 20 or 25 people had filled to about 40. Oh, we were excited about how how full our church was. 40 people. Well, we had a potluck after church every Easter. That was the little church's tradition. And so, you know, as good Methodists, we were as excited about the worship, about the food as we were about the worship. And so we could smell the smells wafting in from the kitchen, which was in the fellowship hall just adjacent to the sanctuary. And during announcements, the pastor said, don't forget everyone, stay for the potluck that's immediately following worship. I heard commotion a couple of pews behind me. And there was this old saintly couple, Bill and Mary Fletcher. Bill would kind of come on Christmas and Easter. Mary was there most every Sunday. I saw them sitting there and I saw Bill mutter something to Mary and Mary just elbow him, like right in the neck, like she was an MMA fighter going for like a knockout blow. And he started laughing and people around him laughing. So I thought to myself, you know, the pastor was moving into the prayer. I thought, I got to find out what that was about. <clears throat> so we're standing in line with our, our paper plates and our red solo cups in line at the potluck. And we're dishing food onto our plate. And I, they were right next to me. And I said, Bill and Mary, what was that commotion? And Bill looked at me at this twinkle in his eye. And he says, well, you know... Mary made her resurrection biscuits for the potluck. And I kind of went, ha, ha, what what does that mean? He said, well, they're so stale and flat, if you drop them on the floor, they're loud enough to wake the dead. And I said, all right, Bill, I would have elbowed you too. He said, he said, every year I hide the so they never rise. Oh gosh. I said, I'm going to tell you out. This is Easter. This is, this is a church. You can't do that. So, so every Easter, I think of Bill and Mary who are long gone now. And I think of her resurrection biscuits that she so eagerly and happily made for everyone. And, um, but they were really hard and dry. What's the saying? It's the thought that counts. And it, it, it certainly was with those. Well, friends, Christ is risen. Our Lenten journey, the journey through Holy Week, through Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion, and his death has led us here. Just when it seems so dark, we're here on this day of hope, where Jesus has won victory over sin and death, over evil. When the world took all that it had and threw it at Jesus, Jesus had the final word, and Jesus rose again. Well, you're here, whether you come to church frequently or infrequently, I bet you know a bit about this story, the resurrection story of the rising of Jesus from the the dead. 
We have two accounts. We have an account in Peter's sermon, which Brielle read for us from Acts chapter 10. And we have John's account of Peter and John. You know, in John's gospel, there's frequent mention of the disciple whom Jesus loved. And scholars believe that to actually be the disciple John. He's there and we have Mary Magdalene. So this morning, I want to put a couple of things to you as we walk through this familiar scripture story together. One is, if the resurrection actually happened, what does it mean? And if the resurrection actually happened, what does it mean for you and for me? For you and for me. I think the first thing to do is to do away with any nonsense that would try to domesticate the resurrection. Here's what I mean by that. From the very beginning, from right after the resurrection, there were all sorts of attempts to try to make it manageable. You see, because I don't know if you know this, but there tends to be a scientific law. And that is a body that is dead tends to remain dead. And so this was just unbelievable for so many in the ancient world, even as it is for so many in our world today. The notion of a resurrected body is so difficult for so many that there have been attempts to explain away the resurrection as not a physical rising from the dead, but perhaps in the disciples' minds, they were so moved by Jesus and his teachings that he lived on in their minds. Or maybe when Jesus was on the cross suffering and when they took him down, he really wasn't dead. Maybe he was unconscious and in the tomb, he, he came back, you know, resuscitated and somehow was able to move that stone out of the way and, and walked out. I have one word for you. Nonsense. Nonsense. Who would be willing to die for the memory of someone? All the disciples, save one, went to a martyr's death. The early church is full of Christians who refused to recant faith in Jesus and instead went to their deaths. Who would do that for a man who just died? Ah, but for a man who died and then rose again. That is someone upon whom we can stake our very existence. Jesus actually rose from the dead. And that's good news for us. But we'll get to that in just a moment. He actually rose. His body came forth. Well, we don't actually see that event, do we? If you listen carefully to what Brielle read for us in John We don't see the moment where Jesus gets up, where the power of God raises him. He gets up, he takes off his grave clothes, the stone is rolled away, and he walks out. We don't see that, do we? We see what happens after that, right after that. Mary, this woman whom Jesus loved and a woman who loved Jesus so deeply. A woman who, if you go to the Gospel of Luke, chapters 2 and 3, we find that she was a woman deeply tormented. Jesus loved her. Jesus noticed her. Jesus saved her. And she becomes one of his most committed followers. And she did what any committed person would have done 
for those whom they loved who died. She goes to the tomb to be near him and to perhaps attend to his body. So she goes to where her Lord is. And what does she find? Stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Again, let's not domesticate this event, but let's feel it for all that it contains. Imagine yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment. Remember where Mary was the last time we saw her before this. Let's do a roll call at the cross. Peter? Absent? Andrew? Absent? Judas? Most definitely absent. Mary Magdalene? Present and accounted for. She stood there at the cross, watching the one that she loved, brutalized, shamed, humiliated, dying in the most torturous, excruciating way possible. Imagine the trauma that she had experienced. You know, there's such a thing called secondary trauma. It's when you start to manifest psychological and physiological symptoms having witnessed another person's brutality. Mary's traumatized. And to come to the tomb to just be close to the one that she loved and to find the body gone? Imagine if you can for just a moment how she must have felt. Well, she runs back to get Peter and to get John. They come in. I love, you know, we see a bit of the disciples' personalities here. You know, John seems to be kind of cautious and he wants to check it out. Peter, boom, right into the tomb. Doesn't know what he's going to find, but goes right in there anyway. He goes, he examines, he comes out. They can't make any sense of it. The grave clothes are there, but their master, their Lord, is not. Then all of a sudden, there's a messenger, a messenger from God who appears in the tomb. Mary's crying. Wouldn't you and I cry too? Someone who had saved you? Imagine living in the world that Mary lived in, where women like Mary were relegated to the margins of society. They were, they were the type of women about whom rumors were spread. Mary was the sort of woman that you'd go out of your way to avoid. And Jesus loved her and saved her. Jesus may have been the only man who ever treated Mary with kindness and respect and love. Of course she'd cry. Of course you'd cry. Why are you crying? Mary's not here. Just tell me where the body is so that I can go and be with him. And then this other figure appears. The gardener. Why are you crying a second time? I don't know where my Lord is. And in a word, in one word, everything changes. Mary, 
speaks her name. And in an instant, she knows who he is. You see, there must have been something that was different about the resurrected Lord's body. We know from other accounts in the Gospels that he bears the marks of the crucifixion. But there's something about him that is not immediately recognizable to those who were closest to him for three years. The disciples, when they see him, don't immediately recognize him, and neither did Mary. There must have been something different about the resurrected Lord. But Jesus, in a moment, speaks a word to her. And everything changes. So what does the resurrection mean? Well, the resurrection means all the things that we have sung about and talked about so far. It is Christ's victory over sin and death. It means that in our lives, we can affirm what Paul said to the church in 1 Thessalonians, that when our loved ones die, and even when we die, we and those that we love don't have to grieve as if there's no hope. Because there is hope. You see, on Friday, if a man had just died on a cross and had stayed there and didn't rise from the dead, then I'm going to take off my robe and my stole and I'm going to go find an honest job. And we might as well close the doors on this church and lock it and never come back. But if the man who died on that cross two, three days later came out of the grave, to, came out of the grave, then we have the greatest news that the world has ever known. And how can we be silent? How can we be silent? In Jesus' day and shortly thereafter, there were all sorts of people who claimed to be the Messiah. And guess what? None of us remember their names. They all died. None of them died and came out of a tomb except for one, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. It's victory over sin and death. It gives us hope. It means that this life is not all there is, that there's more, that this world in which we live with its dysfunction and its sin is not how it has to be. It's not how it always will be. Because of that empty tomb, Something began 2,000 years ago that will find its completion one day in the future when Jesus returns. This project of taking what was wrong and making it right, of taking the bad and redeeming it for good, of saving us when we were powerless to save ourselves. That's what the empty tomb tells us. Yes, it means all of that. Let's dig a little deeper on a personal, fundamental level for you and me. What does the resurrection mean? Well, I think it's, I see two things in this story, and I'm sure there are many more. But I see grace, and I see identity. Let me tell you what I mean. It's all about grace. God's unmerited mercy reaching down to us, loving us, even when we were unlovable. You know how I know? 
Mary Magdalene, the first evangelist. You know, if the resurrection story were a fabrication, you know who the last person you would choose as the first messenger of the news that changed the world? The last person you choose in Jesus' day was a woman like Mary Magdalene. Cicero, who was a second century historian who hated Christianity, said something like this, and don't shoot the messenger, I'm just telling you what he said. He said, Christians believe the testimony, again, don't shoot the messenger, of stupid hysterical women. I think that's what we would call misogyny. That's the world in which these events happened. And so if you wanted to invent a story that would have currency, that you could get people to believe, do you know what you would not do? You would not have a woman like Mary Magdalene be the person to tell that story to the world because she does become the first preacher. She's the first evangelist. Don't you tell me that women can't preach. Mary is the woman, the first person to take the news that Jesus is risen and she goes and she tells it to men. This is not a made-up story. You wouldn't do that. It's all about grace. Because, friends, you and me, we're a lot like Mary Magdalene. We're all dysfunctional. We've all got issues. We've all been unlovable. We've all done things that we're not ashamed of. And Jesus comes to Mary and rescues her and saves her and commissions her to be the first evangelist, friends, that's all mercy and grace. That is nothing of human effort. That's all mercy and grace. And the same Jesus who did that for Mary will do it for you and for me. So this story, the resurrection, tells me that it's all, all grace and mercy through and through. Secondly, it tells us something about who we are at our deepest level. Never have we lived in a society in a time that is more obsessed with discovering who we are individually. A notion of identity swirls all around us. And our culture seems to tell us that you've got to dig deep within yourself Find out who you are, manufacture your own identity, and pull that out, and that is your authentic self. Nonsense. We're social beings. We're created in relationship with each other. We know who we are by being in relationship with others. Listen to what Jesus says. This seeming gardener, when he first encounters Mary. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. When Jesus says, why are you crying? And she says, I'm just looking for my Lord. Tell me where he's laid. Jesus doesn't say, it's me. Right here. I'm Jesus. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Mary. In other words, he doesn't say, this is me. He says, this is you. In a moment, he speaks a word 
She knows who she is because she knows who he is. And in a moment, things start to come together. See, friends, we will never know who we are until we let the risen Christ say our name. Let me say that again. We will never know who we are until we have the risen Christ say our name to us. And in a moment, in a moment, when Christ speaks to us and comes to us, you see, Mary goes and she, yes, she's looking for him, but she's looking for a dead body. Jesus comes to her, doesn't he? And so it is with each one of us. There's still a man risen from the dead who walks among us and is speaking our name. Nelson, Bill, Jackie, Janet. Speaking our name and in doing so, in just a moment, in just a word, we find everything that we have ever needed to know who we are. We find grace and mercy to help in every time of trouble. We find forgiveness of sin. We find hope for the future. We find a life worth living here and now in the present. That's what the resurrection means for each and every one of us. So friends, maybe you're here today and maybe you're skeptical about this man named Jesus. Maybe you wonder how a, how a story in a book written thousands of years ago can have any bearing on your life today. I want to challenge you and encourage you to be silent and to listen for someone who wants to speak your name. Someone who's here right now looking for you. See, friends, that's a misnomer in the Christian faith. We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. He's constantly looking and searching for people, calling their name, never compelling, but lovingly wooing us toward him toward the lover of our souls, the greatest friend that we can ever have, the one who offers us all we could ever imagine and more. He's calling your name. Will you listen and will you answer?